So many people associate ketogenic lifestyles solely with people who are trying to lose weight, which of course it can be a fabulous tool for, but keto is also a prescription for so many as a way to manage various medical conditions. Today, we are going to talk all about keto as a daily prescription for health. I'm Kelly Youngstrom, and this is Keep Yourself Well. Anyone who knows a little bit of the more modern history of ketogenic nutrition may associate it with treatment for epilepsy, but what many people don't know is it also can be used as a treatment or preventative mechanism for type 2 diabetes and prediabetes. My guest today knows firsthand how food can affect a medical condition such as type 2 diabetes. My brother, my oldest brother, my biggest brother, Dylan Youngstrom, is here today to talk about his experience as a type 2 diabetic who manages his disease through keto. Hello, brother Dylan. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to introduce you to Keep Yourself Well. Hi, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Did you really have a choice? It was a sibling favor and you couldn't, I mean, you could say no, but you didn't. I appreciate that. It's better to get it over with than hear about <laughs> it over and over again. <laughs> I was waiting. I was waiting for the day I'd call on you, but for many, like many people who listen to the podcast or uh, follow along on Instagram or Facebook know of you because I've talked to you before, talk about you and uh, ruthlessly use you as an example because you live a ketogenic lifestyle as well. So before we get into that and your experience with keto, specifically as a type two diabetic, I want to start with how do you feel you keep yourself well? Uh, depends on the season. So uh, right now trying to uh, spend as much time outside as we can when it's not snowing like it is today on May 19th. Uh, so try and spend time outside golfing, uh, with friends. Um, so it's, it's the physical aspect, but social aspect as well. Um, also with clients and then also in a pretty casual weekly, uh, slow pitch team, same scenario, a little bit of activity blended, uh, with social, uh, component. And then at home, lots of time out in the yard, uh, working on the yard and, and running around with the dog. Uh, in the wintertime, um, a little more indoor type activity, right? Whether that's uh, maybe get a little more into making sure I'm taking breaks with reading or spending time picking up a, a show that I find engaging or something like that. But um, really, it, it depends on how I'm feeling, whether it's a mental or a physical focus. Mm, that's a good point, actually. I really like that you highlight that taking those breaks are part of your approach to wellness. That's so important. And I think often neglected and overlooked. And I love that you combine the, the social and the physical together, because arguably that makes it more fun for you and doesn't feel like, doesn't feel like a chore. I know you've done some personal training in the past and you have a little home gym for you, do you find that the social aspect makes it much easier for you to get your movement in day to day? Or do you still enjoy mixing in the individual movement like in the gym or with a personal trainer? If you're asking me, would I rather play golf year round than be on a treadmill? The answer is yes. <laughs> but I think uh, absolutely. It's like if I could do all that team, like 
team sport or anything social um yeah I, I, it's a big driver for me and it's and i think when you're with other people i guess it depends on what you accomplish one of the nice things about working out solo is i think you know you can actually spend some time on depending on the type of work you do like i have in my work i have a lot of problems i work on you know when i'm even outside of you know working hours right so working out uh or doing activity solo can be helpful for that and and kind of thinking through things and and maybe almost a distracted thinking where you can let your subconscious brain help you out a little bit but then on the other side of things when you're with a group of people or other people um you know the ability to maybe forget about all of that uh in some aspect as well so again depends on what i'm trying to achieve but from a you know just from a personal favorite standpoint I mean, every time I pick something with the social piece. And outdoors as well for most of those activities for you, which I think makes a big difference. That actually ties in really well to last week's episode. Um, and I don't think I mentioned it specifically, but talking about things like golf and slow pitch, you know, that combination of uh, not only like the, the physical and the outdoors, but the social and also entertainment. Golf is obviously an investment, but I think in, in relation to last week's episode, just talking about investing in your physical retirement fund and your physical health, when you're investing in something like an activity such as golf, you're getting the entertainment aspect and the social aspect alongside the physical aspect. So I really do feel like you're getting your bang for your buck if you're able to enjoy those activities. Um, and then obviously we know you live a ketogenic lifestyle in terms of nutrition. So tell us a little bit about what you do, because I do think that plays a big role into some of your biggest challenges and focuses as it does, you know, most people spending at least 40 hours a week for the most part in terms of navigating keto. So I'm going to take a step back and just comment on something you were talking about, about driving to, you know, fun and things you like. So when I kind of recommitted to uh, doing stuff in the home uh, at the start of this year in the, the winter months, uh, it was actually with a focus on the golf season. So I tried to uh, have exercise routines that were focused on, uh, especially mobility, things like that, especially, you know, hips and back, et cetera. Um, so I, I found even attaching that bigger kind of fun goal to it, right, uh, helped me even literally months before uh, golf season even started. So sometimes, you know, sometimes it gets tedious, you know, waking up, it's so dark and it can be tough to get out of bed. So, uh, you know, if you can find a, something that's not just losing weight or numbers is the end goal. I think that, uh, that only helps. So, yeah, that's a great point. Thank you. Um, as far as what I do. So I just accepted uh, a new role recently as director of sales at uh, horizon computer solutions here in Saskatoon. So I run a, an organization of uh, 10 direct reports, uh, but really I've been in technology consultancy style sales Um really for the past, I'd call it 15 years. So, um, you know, with that uh, comes a lot of out meeting people in person, which traditionally has meant uh, a lot of eating out, uh, things like uh, even drinking, depending on the type of event, right? Uh, so that really can become a challenge right, when it's literally part of your job. So, you know, fortunately, in this day and age, uh, you know, I happen to uh, not be drinking right now, just, uh, just because, but it's, uh, it's definitely more accepted than it was probably even 10 years ago. Um, and in terms of eating, it's not strange to ask for keto type, 
uh, meals anymore. Like when I, every time I ask now for say a bunless burger when I'm out for lunch, um, almost a hundred percent of the places I go ask if you want a lettuce wrapped. The answer is no. Cause I don't want to have the burger slide out and slap my customer in the face. <laughs> I'm eating it, but, uh, but they're aware of the reasoning behind it. Right. And, and I also get the question, you know, is it an allergy? Is it a preference? So, you know, it's, it's been interesting as, as I have kind of had to do this in, in public, I've seen the transition happen. So that's been helpful for me um, since I continue to, you know, meet people call it outside of uh, a controlled eating environment on a very regular basis. And for all meals of the day, right. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, uh, traveling too can be very difficult where your schedule's out of whack um, and you kind of make do with what you can, you know, airports, smaller airports, right? It's things like, uh, you know, beef jerky and, and stuff like that, but it is doable. Yeah. I like that language, actually. I think that gives good context outside of a controlled eating environment. And I think as nutrition professionals, it's our responsibility to guide people in normalizing those situations as quickly as possible, because it is not going to be sustainable long-term if you're not easily able to navigate those social situations. You know, obviously it can be easier when you're in a controlled space, but I say that if needed, we should be able to navigate every single meal eating out keto for the most part, you know, in a, in a perfect world. So that brings us to how your journey started because I don't feel like keto was necessarily felt like a, a total choice. It was more of an obligation that came naturally for you with your health journey. So talk about uh, your original diagnosis being a type two diabetic. And I would also like to kind of uh, kill some of the stereotypes that come along with that, because I know I remember really vividly the day that you told me you got tested positive for type two. And I had a very dramatic response, not fully understanding it at that point, but it was really shocking because I don't think you fit the stereotypical model that people assume when we talk about type two diabetes. Yeah, I think with you, it's just a response. I think dramatic might be redundant. But, <laughs> um, just existing. Wasn't, uh, so I wasn't expecting it wasn't diagnosed with pre-diabetes or anything. I went in uh, for something else. Um, and just like as part of normal blood work checkup, the uh, nurse came and said, oh, are you diabetic? And I said, nope. And she implied that maybe we'll see about that. And so got invited back for the actual test, uh, invited back, sent to Life Labs or whatever it's called now, where you drink the, the shot of glucose, which is so sweet that if you weren't diabetic, it'd give you diabetes anyway. And then you wait two hours and check your sugars. And, uh, and that's really how they diagnose it. It's literally, you just drink some glucose and see if, if uh, your sugar levels drop. So that's how your diagnosis took me completely by surprise. Um, you know, I lived a very similar lifestyle to all of my peers, all my colleagues. In fact, I was probably more active because I was on at least one ball team at the time and I was running quite a bit and that wasn't the case with everybody else. So the thing that's interesting is the more research that's been done is um, there's a, there's a lot of genetic precursors or markers that we're just starting to learn about so this whole idea of you know you, you can cause you know yourself to gain it i mean potentially but it's more that if you're not aware that you have these markers you can easily activate them um and and cause cause yourself to have type 2 so it's really interesting all the research that's happening um you know what's what's also interesting is 
Um, I have a, a friend who's just finishing up med school and he commented that, you know, there's almost more level of control available for somebody who is diagnosed with AIDS now than there is diabetes from a medical standpoint, because they've got that, um, they've got that medically so covered from a, a medicine and, and research standpoint. So thought that was interesting. So what that led me to believe is being a logical guy is, you know, how do, how do we affect this? So we had the, uh, um, you know, you go in, you see the, uh, it's called a live well nurse. They run through, Hey, here's, it's kind of like a revised food guide. Then all of a sudden they're like, Oh yeah, not all vegetables are good for you anymore. Right. Obviously things like, uh, corn and potatoes, which is definitely difficult growing up uh, from a farming background and, and loving those foods. Um, and even things being sort of more on the fence, like peas and, and beans, like you're always taught green is green is good. Right. And, and that's not necessarily true anymore. So, uh, so kind of, and they had prescribed actually still a pretty high number of carbohydrate intake per meal per day. And I said, well, if that's what's causing this issue, surely less of it will help resolve it. So I, I just naturally uh, ingested even less than they had recommended as part of the meal uh, and was able to uh, help lower uh, and, and get back into at certain points, I've been in non diabetic ranges even so. Um, so that's, that's really the value of the uh, keto or at times dirty keto, but keto lifestyle. And just to take it one step beyond that, you so when you met with the diabetic consultant originally they did put you on metformin as well so tell me about the drug side of things because i know a lot of people have issues with the nausea related to metformin and it's one of the many reasons that i am such an advocate for keto as a way of managing type 2 because it's doable with nutrition and generally people tend to feel better you know anytime we can use our nutrition as our daily prescription and get us off of medication. I would much prefer that. And for those who don't know, there's a lot of nausea and digestive issues that often come alongside metformin, which is traditionally the go-to prescription with type two diabetes right now. Yeah. So, uh, initially they thought, um, that I would have to go on insulin right away. Um, but after, you know, giving me some education and then, uh, you know, spending a couple of weeks on metformin with an altered diet, uh, I had dropped or my sugars on a reactive basis were uh, controlled better. And they said, okay, maybe we can, we can do this. So that's what we pursued. Uh, and then eventually, yes, I was able to a lower the metformin prescription and then B um, remove it. So, you know, and I, I'm not, I think you know, majority of people, every, the challenge is everybody's different. Everybody's metabolism is, is metabolism is different in whether it's insulin resistance, that's the issue and, and how much, um, and how you react to metformin, not just from, a um, how your body feels perspective, but the impact it has on you. So, you know, these are all things that are, it's so drastically different person to person. And I would say, I would guess the majority of people might end up being, you know, a combination potentially of medication and, and diet, just, just depending, but, you know, tons of success stories I've seen with, um, you know, I speak as a, a type two, but even type ones having a better level of control by being on a ketogenic diet. Now I'm, I'm not going to touch on that. Cause that's, I 
that's a different diagnosis and I don't know enough about it. But. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond your scope maybe, but um, yeah, just speaking anecdotally from the dozens of clients that I've worked with ranging from type one to type two, uh, obviously type one, they're going to be insulin dependent, but we can reduce that dependence dramatically in terms of units used both short and long acting. And with type two, if it's incredibly controlled, I've almost always seen it be able to be transitioned to medication free. But with that, there is a high level of vigilance necessary. And I think that's one of the ongoing challenges um, that you've really seen is like you said, everybody's body is different. I do again, just anecdotally, because I see so many bodies respond to keto every day. I think you're quite sensitive and you have a very low tolerance for carbohydrates and, you know, weight loss is always more of a challenge for you, even when you're really controlled with your nutrition and your exercise. And that's just the way it is for some people. And that is incredibly frustrating. So for you having to be so vigilant, I talk a lot about that. It's, it's not necessarily a choice to have flexibility, um, as much as someone who's doing it purely nutritionally. So that conversation of the, the slight difference in, you know, nutritional ketosis solely versus therapeutic ketosis. And I think most people are somewhere on the spectrum of those two things. But when we're talking about using keto as a daily prescription to manage something like type two and keep you off of medication, there is kind of a daily requirement that this becomes your new prescription. So what are some of the challenges you've faced in that regards, just in terms of the consistency? And I think um, one of the conversations that we've had before too, that I like to touch on is just that kind of keto burnout of when it doesn't feel like it's a choice. And now it does kind of feel like, you know, you don't have as much flexibility as everyone else. And it's easy to have that comparison game. Like you said, even growing up, you live the same lifestyle as you know, all of your friends, everyone who grew up around us. And for whatever reason, you had that predisposition. So how do you manage that both mentally and emotionally and also you know, technically just with variety and keeping it fresh and trying to avoid that burnout? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you don't, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not perfect. Um, but as I said, you know, the mental break thing is, is crucial. Um, but like so many things in life, some, sometimes you just got to do stuff, right? You got to pay the power bill. Um, you gotta, you, you gotta keep yourself in check. So I kind of view it as, as that. And it's, you know, it sucks, but once you get used to it, it's, it's not as bad. Right. As I said, having the alternatives out there, you know, I'm very, uh, that, uh, my wife is a very good cook and has kind of adopted the ability to cook keto for me. Even if she's not making something keto for herself, we've found recipes where, um, it's kind of easy to split to do both, whether that's, uh, you know, different types of pizza, uh, you know, you know, pasta is a great example where you can use um, those konjac based noodles and she can use traditional pasta. Um, and there's lots of stuff that's really good keto that, you know, she'll eat the, the ketogenic version as well. So the, the, the variety is there. Um, and it's kind of as far as your imagination will take you in this day and age, which is cool. There's all these other types of, um, you know, sweeteners and, and flavored additive types that go a long way. And that wasn't the case even five years ago, I would say. So uh, that's been a real boon for me. I know that not everybody has that uh, capability. I know when, uh, when we were living apart for a bit, because uh, she was working out of province, um, planning became very important and maybe having key components. Uh, that was quick for me. It's less about the, actually the food and the variety and more about the convenience and, and speed. So having things planned, 
that, you know, so maybe you have a bunch of chicken cooked and, uh, you know, and then that you can just use in multiple recipes, right? Like you, you have it and you, and you can just use it four or five times mm-hmm. in a week. That, that was huge is, is having a bit of preparation and thought behind it. And then the more you do it, the better you get, it comes quicker, more efficient. Yeah. So on and so forth. Yeah. And I know like some, just finding those go-to favorites, like you said, efficiency is, is key. And when you've got some of those flexible staples, you really can reinvent them into many things. So having a rotisserie chicken on hand, I know you and I love the pulled pork and the roast from Costco, which takes just a minute to throw together. The fathead pizza is a big hit, those noodles. So yeah, I think playing around with those options and um, you guys do a really great job. And of course, Laura's, you know, a huge pillar to just helping support that with groceries and meal prep and everything, but just bringing in variety, you know, you guys make food fun and you're always trying different things. And I mean, I talk about how lucky we are in a family as your keto, our mom's celiac. So she's not eating gluten and generally tends to err on the lower side. And then actually our dad recently switched to keto as well. So yeah, four out of five ain't bad. And so it makes family events really easy because all of us are kind of eating in a similar way, but even when that wasn't the case, we'd have a keto version of, you know, instead of mashed potato, we'd have mashed potato and we'd have cauliflower puree and just having options for everyone. And I think it's, you know, really quite easy. So in terms of traveling and eating out, because like you said, with your works, it's so social and that's a big part of it. How do you navigate? I'd love to know how you navigate food. Some of your go-to recommendations, um, and also the alcohol side of things, because that is an ongoing challenge, whether you're keto or not, just trying to navigate those social situations when you're working towards a healthier lifestyle. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of, I'm the king of the bunless burger. However, uh, traveling some good, good options a lot of the time can be uh, wings. A lot of places will have wings that are not breaded these days, which is a little bit newer uh, than it used to be um you know if you're looking for a chain that has good wings that aren't breaded you know boston pizza is an option uh i've really gotten into um different salad types actually so uh things like cob salad um uh, which is not traditionally something i would uh i would go for but you know it's got enough richer foods and proteins that uh that taste good uh and, you know, most places are good with custom stuff off the menu as well, right? So, you know, you think about even a place like the keg, you know, normally you get a potato or whatever on the side. There's, I have not come to a restaurant that won't just give you an extra veg if that's the other piece of the side, right? Um, so that can be, uh, that can be a good way to navigate it. Uh, from a liquor perspective, you know, the problem that most diabetics have, I wasn't really me, but is in the mix, right? The, the sugar is in the mix. So hard liquor actually, depending on what it is, but most, a lot of hard liquor doesn't have sugar in it inherently or carbohydrates. So um, gin, uh, most rye, unless it's something that's been sweetened, um, vodka, et cetera, uh, scotch, there's, there's no, uh, there's no sugar in those. So uh, you know, learn to love gin and sodas with a, a little slice of lime can be, you know, good. Um, whiskey diets, rye diets or riots, as I like to call them. Uh, <laughs> great example. Uh, and then there's actually a ton of low carb beer options. So it, it, when I started uh, traveling to the States for work more, uh, Michelob Ultra was everywhere. It wasn't really up in Canada, actually. 
but it was down there and it was 2.6 grams of carbs per beer, I want to say, um, which is actually it's tremendously low for beer and, and still has not that alcohol content. I think the knock that I would have on, you know, Molson 67 when it released its alcohol content was at, you know, 2.5 or lower. Um, so it just, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the same, right? So now there, there are other, so this is not to say, hey, go ahead and drink things because I think it's important people understand that um, kidney, uh, sorry, liver function has a, an impact on on glucose as well, right? So it can also have an effect on uh, potentially blood sugars or how you're metabolizing things in a separate way. Um, but there, you know, there are ways around it, especially if you're keeping track, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we talk about alcohol a lot on the podcast and I do with my individual clients and I think it's right. It all comes down to, you know, personal sensitivity and also ability to practice moderation and just what your goals are. So like you said, currently you're in a season of not consuming alcohol. And I think those periods can be really helpful too. So when you manage your nutrition with keto, I know you talked a little bit about like, sometimes it's more on the dirtier side of how do you manage in terms of intuitive eating versus tracking macros versus a menu share with the people? Yeah. So, I mean, I just have a, a, so it depends what I'm trying to do. Right. I just, I mean, I just, I absolutely know what's got carbohydrates in it. What's what doesn't these days. Right. Um, but when I kind of did the reset earlier this year and wanted to have a focus more on weight loss, I, I did have to start tracking, um, macros again, just because I needed to know same thing input output, right? Like I, the amount of effort I was putting in, wasn't losing weight, needed to know what was going on. And, and the fact of the matter is I was just, there was a lot of calories being burned. You know, I would say primarily snacking after supper would be the the big thing. Right. And it was still keto stuff, right? Like it'd be, I'd be like little meat, little cheese, um, that sort of thing, but it's, you know, it's higher fat content stuff. So all of a sudden you're hitting five or 600 calories, maybe in an evening. Uh, so all of a sudden you're, maybe you're up around 3000 calories for a day instead of 2000, you don't even realize you've done it. Right. So what I find can be helpful is, you know, especially if you're tracking on a scale or maybe measuring whatever it is, waist or, or um, arms, thighs, whatever, um, doesn't hurt to check, just track them for a week. I'll, I'll be honest, I was, I was real freaking annoying at home for the first week when I kept asking, uh, asking the wife, Oh, what's in this? How much is in that? Blah, blah, blah. And then Googling. And then every single thing in the, my fitness pal app was in there incorrectly, even though it had a green check mark, like I check it against the label and it was wrong. So I had to kind of manually make stuff. What we ended up doing is you can actually add meals to MFP. So I, we would do something once and I would add a meal and understand, okay, I want to eat X number of calories of it. And so if we made a, a zucchini lasagna, I'll use an example. I can't remember if we did as part of this. Um, then I would just know how many calories are in a serving and, and then just use that for level set. So I, I tracked pretty heavily, for, I would say for about a month. And then I was like, okay, I have a real good idea of where I need to be for 2000 or between 1700, 2000 calories a day is what my, my target was. So uh, like I said before, the more, the more you do it, the more you're going to know, the more efficient it's going to be. I think it doesn't hurt to just check in once in a while. Right. And maybe track. Cause if you're like me, it's, it's you, you, you convince yourself of a little cheat here and a little cheat cheat there. Right. And before you know it, you might be, uh, might be swinging too far. So how long ago was your original diagnosis? 
Uh, I'm going to say 10 years might have been in May. I it might actually almost be precisely yeah. 10 years. So, I mean, I think that's a great point, though. It's like over this time. So nearly. Yeah, actually, because I was I was into keto just prior to you getting this diagnosis. And then, so I've been keto about 10 years too. Um, but just a good point where, you know, originally you had that steep learning curve in the beginning and you got a really good sense of, like you said, what, what vegetables even are kind of inherently less keto friendly and higher carb. And then you start, you know, doing the thing where in the beginning you were likely tracking and more structured, and then you become more intuitive over time. But I think that's one of the things that tracking can be good for. It's a good tool to come back to as a review when you feel like maybe things aren't adding up. And a nice point that, you know, input output still has merit, you know, calories in calories out, maybe has less of an effect on keto just based on insulin response, but it's still very much important to be mindful of if fat loss is the goal. So you recognizing like exactly just grazing on something that's so calorically dense, like I know you love peanuts, for example, it's so easy for a handful of peanuts to all of a sudden be hundreds of calories, not same thing. Like oftentimes I get clients just to remember to, you know, measure their nuts for a week and be reminded of what a serving size looks like. <laughs> so I had to, uh, I had to ask my personal shopper to stop buying peanuts at Costco. Cause I, I, I go and buy the fistful, right. And, and the fistful of those is like 250 calories, right. So it, it adds up quick. And you know, one of the best, things I was told, I think it was through an online community, but you know, I think one of the challenges you have, especially as a type two diabetic, right. Is you, you kind of view this as a, a score and, you know, how are you doing? And, oh, I'm out of and type one as well. Right. You know, I've, I've had poor control. I've had good control. You know, that's not really the end game, right? It's they're just, it's all data points for you to make your next decision off of. Right. And I think that's the same with checking what your eating right i mean if you check and you're right on oh yeah i was right in the pocket of where i want to be for calories great if you're not now you adjust and that's the whole i view the whole premise of this is just it's kind of doing your own little bit of data analytics right of, of how do i make a more informed decision the next time then eventually you've got so much data and you've made so many more decisions that all that aggregates in and and you just get better when you're moving forward yeah it's not right or wrong, good or bad, it's data for you to make future decisions on. And I think, you know, the scale is a great point. Uh, when it comes to that, the scale is the last thing I look at with clients, I look at all the other metrics first. And, you know, if we're doing therapeutic ketosis for something like type two management, what's the most important data point, your glucose, your A1C, that's what's most important. And when that's under control, and where it should be long term, likely the scales you know, going to change. So I think the emphasis on the correct or more relevant data point can take off a lot of pressure. And actually I wanted to talk about too, then testing for ketones, which is a question I get often. So in your journey, do you test for ketones at this point? I know you have a little bit in the past. Tell me about that. Yeah. Once in a while, same thing, right? I'm like, uh, if I'm like, Oh, have I been a little too far uh, off, like if I have my neck carbs, have I gotten a little high or have I been low? I, and same thing, I'll, I'll test once in a while. And usually I'm still in ketosis for the most part. And so I, I, it's kind of random spot checking. If I'm, again, if I'm kind of rededicating myself then I tend to test everything more frequently just to see how things are lining up. But, um, for sure, I keep uh, a thing of strips and test them regularly. 
Yeah. Again, just data points. So living the lifestyle every day, having a little bit of structure every now and then. And I think that's a really good point too, that um, you recognized a food that wasn't serving you. I think that it can be easy to fall into that mindset of, well, it's keto, so it's good for me, uh, or it's keto, I can have it. And I think it's just important, again, to recognize that individual tolerance for certain things and individual habits. I I think that probably just um, objectively knowing a little bit about your habits, part of the issue with the peanuts, it's not just the peanuts, it's when you're eating them. And I know that's generally like you're watching sports, you're playing a game or something. So it's just a little bit mindless and it can be extra easy to overconsume because you're not just sitting down having a meal in the same way. And I think that's when the keto snacking can kind of creep up on people because you just don't even recognize, you know, how quickly you've had three handfuls. Right. So I think that's great. Are there any other foods that you feel like don't serve you that kind of fit generally within the keto umbrella? Or are you pretty flexible otherwise? Yeah, it depends. I've, you know, I've noticed that some, generally it's pre-packaged keto stuff, right? Where, and I hate to say this because it's gotten better, but I think there are some companies that are, maybe it's not on purpose, but they're, they're misleading, right? And, and so that's a challenge. So I would more say the recommendation, recommendation is again, if, if it's a new food and it's pre-processed or pre-packaged, eat it, test, you know, and, uh, and go from there. I like, that's the best thing you can do. Cause again, you know, different types of sweeteners or sugar, alcohol, stuff like that. Everybody, everybody responds differently as, as we discussed. So, you know, you, you got to check for yourself. So yeah, that would be my, my main thing is if it's something where you don't really know hundred percent of the ingredients, that would be the one I'd be the most worried about. Yeah, that's a great point. I do a whole video about that in my keto group program, um, like how to read labels, what to watch for, and how to tell if something's actually keto for yourself, because that food marketing is very unregulated and very misleading. And that's a great point too. something that I like to do when I find a new product at Costco, for example, which I feel like might be on the fence, I'll eat it and test my glucose so that I can then recommend to clients if it's going to cause a blood sugar response. But even then, my tolerance is likely better than your tolerance because you err more on the side of insulin resistance. So as someone who's not a type two and has regular glucose metabolism, I may not respond to a food in the same way you do. And this is where, you know, not only just in terms of cravings and psychologically, we need to decide if foods are right for us, but in terms of our physiological response as well. So I think that's a really, um, a really great point. And something I wanted to talk about too, is just any other foundational habits that you feel like have been supportive in your lifestyle, like, for example, cutting out snacking in the evening, or if there's a morning routine that you think serves you or something with Archie, who is my friend nephew, uh, that just helps you to kind of bookend your day or create like healthy structure within your day water for example i know right now you're drinking out of one of the big um like one liter bottles from costco which i think is really something i always recommend so just any other habits that you think can be helpful in people transitioning to a healthier lifestyle you know one that i i think you have actually i think you might have talked about i can't remember if it was on the facebook thing or post but um you know don't overlook the value of sleep to tie all of this together now I'm someone who actually might have you know when you're thinking about things that can maybe lead or activate things that cause type 2 diabetes for me lack of sleep probably was a a major one right and and 
And, I, and, I, and it's not necessarily just quantity of sleep, but I found when I was kind of doing this reset at the start of the year, uh, uh, probably inadvisable for a lot of people, but I'm, I'm kind of a two, two feet in type of person, right? So I added new workout routines. I kind of recommitted to the diet, um, but I also added more of a controlled nighttime regimen so that even if it wasn't the full, you know, a full allotment of eight hours, it was no screen time for kind of an hour or at least 30 minutes before laying in bed reading, uh, if you can for 30 minutes before bed, again, to get your brain in a bit of a more relaxed mode and switched off. Um, because, you know, I've, one of the things I've seen firsthand for myself, and I know it, it does ring true for others is you can do all this other stuff, but if you're not getting enough sleep, it, it can eat, it can really eat away the progress. And it's super interesting. Uh, so I, I, I'm a, I'm a Garmin man. I don't know if some people are Fitbit people or, or Garmin people or, uh, polar or whatever. But so my Garmin has a heart rate monitor and the two things I see have the most drastic effect on my heart rate that aren't expected is lack of sleep and drinking. And so I'm talking one drink and the next day, uh, I won't have it, it affects, so it measures based on heart rate variability and it'll have been wonky all night long and same thing, lack of sleep, um, or not getting enough sleep. Then the next day, it stays high and, uh, and resting heart rate isn't as low. So that would be something I would consider. Right. Um, and, and, but making sleep potentially, and I'm not a big sleep guy, but making it more of an actual is activity, the right word, but something that's planned and, and, and thought of, or you've, you've been considerate about, um, could be crucial. And then for me, it's, if, if I want to stay on track, yeah, it's, it's more task oriented and, 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 you know, doing those things it, it, for me, no gray lines makes it way easier, right? It's not like, oh, okay, well, it's seven o'clock. I can snap, snack. It's like, no, it, if we're done supper, I just got to not do it. Right. Otherwise uh, I know, I know me and I'll use it as an excuse to have the next one at eight. Right. So. Yeah. Have that flexibility. Uh, great recommendation. I mean, yeah, I talk about sleep all the time. I just bought my aura ring, which I've been talking about. So really similar. One of the benefits measures my sleep, heart rate variability, and you see how quickly that recovery shift is when you're not getting sleep, when you're consuming alcohol. Uh, and for you, I know just inherently that your glucose is going to be elevated if you're noticing that impact on your body as well. So, you know, it all, it all ties together. And just as a aside, while we're talking about heart rate, something that stood out for me so much, um, because you moved recently within like the last year or so moved to an acreage and just in terms of stress management, you noted within like the first week moving to the country and just like being slightly outside of the city, your heart rate dropped and your stress levels seemingly went down just within a few days. Yeah. So a massive part of the keto diet is to move to an acreage. Well, I just think it is a, but it's a part of health. Like, I think that's so interesting that your body was able to tell you feedback that you, I feel like your sarcasm might not come across. Over the okay. Top. You can have, you can have me back for a, <laughs> another 10 minute episode of redactions, retractions, and apologies. But I, I really do think, you know, we overlook how much stress uh, plays a part. And I mean, just 
familially, like I feel like we have had very similar sleep and caffeine habits and two feet in habits. And I just say it's like the young strong way. So these are things that I've definitely talked about and focus on myself. And I, I think it's great that you set those parameters and definitely works into everything we're doing. So I want to start wrapping up so you can get home to said amazing wife slash sister-in-law who I'm sure has something super delicious and keto friendly, ready to eat. She's not going to listen, but in case she does, I need to make sure she knows that I think she's the best. She'll listen because it's your episode. Well, she is. However, I am You're cooking. going out for supper with the ball team. <laughs> All right. Well, she'll be enjoying something on her own. Um, okay. A few rapid fire questions for you. And I am very curious. I have no idea what your answers will be. Who is your biggest role model? That is a quite a good question. It's probably a blend of a lot of traits and things I see, right? Because I take stuff from personal life, um, from uh, uh, business life, clients, the whole the whole gamut. I'm going to say there's a, I take a lot of pieces from him. I use him for a lot of guidance right now, but he's, he's a guy named Keenan. And so he's a very, uh, outspoken we'll call it sales leader and you can find him on on linkedin his company is called the sales growth company uh but he's very in your face and that's more of a career run but about uh about the functionality of sales and the way it should operate in in this day and age um and i i love watching him he's got some blue language in some of his content so fair warning don't uh don't watch it at the family restaurant warning yeah Well, I'm interested. I have to look him up. What is the best advice you've ever received? Well, uh, you know, the data point one actually that I mentioned earlier has stuck with me and it's, it's very rare that things stick with me like that. So I think that everything you've ever done can be just treated as a data point, right? I mean, if you need to make a decision, if you look at things that way, you can kind of take emotion out of it, which, which can be helpful depending on, on what you have going on. So that's one of them. Uh, something this is maybe it was a little advice or coaching I had received and I kind of synthesized this a little bit myself over the year years. Um, it's kind of similar to the data point one, but it's like, you know, whatever's happened has happened and you can only move forward. Right. So dwelling on it or being upset about it, it whatever, go ahead, but it's not going to resolve the issue or, or get you out of it. Right. So um you can only control what you can control, I guess, would be the really the, the cliche way of saying that. And, and uh, you know, I have focused on that a lot and, and had a lot of success with it, I would say, you know, professionally and, and personally. Sometimes it might actually make me seem a little cold, which I have absolutely no problem with because I'm pretty unapologetically who I am. Um, but, you know, you got to look out for yourself and the people around you, right? So. Yeah. And I think that's really relevant to like how you've managed your whole diagnosis, right? Like it is what it is. So how are you going to move forward with it? Great advice. Um, best book or resource you'd recommend to people? God, I, my, my taste changed so dramatically. So I'm a complete, I'm basically a complete nonfiction reader these days. So, you know, there are some classics I love, you know, um, the, the seven habits of highly effective people. I mean, I you'll yeah. see it everywhere, but but it's, it's really, it, it's just kind of tried and, and true advice. Um, I just read the, the subtle art of not giving a fuck and it, it, uh, it completely aligned with my mentality. So I found that to be, I mean, like it's kind of confirmation bias in a way. So I'm a little bit cognizant of that, but I think that's a good read, especially for, 
if you have the need to, if you maybe worry about things a lot or concerned that you're looking for maybe some advice on how to let things go. Again, that is a, that's a, a bit of a blue read at times, but uh, you know, I really, uh, I did really enjoy that one. Um, and then, you know, if you want to get lost in the classics, uh, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm a big fan of those ones. The Lord of the Rings books are, are very good. Just very well written. Uh, take your mind off type content. Um, and just, just time. Most of my reading these days is in the business space though. Do you have, I know I've sent you a few keto resource books, but you do a lot of your research online, but is there a specific keto book that was helpful to you? Did you read... I know you've had like the ketogenic Bible and stuff, but, or are you just more of an online? Yeah, I, I, I'm more of a run and gun yeah. with that sort of stuff. So, um, I, so what I would say is the books I've gotten that are like di diabetic recipes and things like that are not that diabetic friendly. So again, like foods, you know, check, check the content of the book as well. Right. I, I would say that again, it's kind of, catering to this older school mentality that we assume everyone's going to be on insulin. So they're only maybe controlling for a small uh, delta in, in carbohydrate intake. So um, I would just an air of caution around that. Great point. Yeah. I would recommend keto marketed more than I would diabetic marketed. Cause I think that there is some differentiation there. Uh, and finally, I know this might be not totally relevant to you because you're not a huge uh, social media guy, but if people want to learn more about you or what you've going, got going on or where to find you, what's the best place? Is it LinkedIn? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so linkedin.com slash Dylan Youngstrom, I think is how, but I'm tell you what, there's not many Dylan Youngstroms in the world. So if you find one in Saskatoon, it's, uh, it's me. Um, happy to connect there, uh, talk further, I have, I think I have a Twitter and, and Instagram still, but I'm, uh, yeah. But once every two months, I might remember to go to Instagram and see the three golf memes my my group has sent me, and that's about it. So, uh, with that, I will let you go. Thank you so much. I really hope this plants seeds of just different different approaches to health management and prevention. And I really appreciate you sharing your time with me. Thanks. That is all the time we have together this week. Thank you so much for being here with my brother Dylan and I. Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode each Sunday. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at KY Wellness. More details about all episodes can be found at kywellness.ca under the podcast tab. Don't forget to move your body, nourish your body, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. See you next week and keep yourself well.